people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. I don't know where to even begin with this story. When my grandpa passed away, we went to his house and started clearing out his possessions. And one of my aunts found a videotape. Have you got your uh, video set up? I'm ready to play you some lovely pictures. Hi there! Charles Carson, two men's farm. This farmer, Charles Carson, a neighbor of my grandparents, made this feature-length home movie. Hey, what are you doing here? It is a truly special work of art. I, I know that he did take sort of quite bizarre photographs of things, like Monty Python, really, when you think about it. It is a little bit reminiscent of the serial killer, Ed Gein. I can't tell if this guy is a genius or a psychopath. It's not just exactly how I remember it as a kid, it's even more insane. Come on, out we come. Here we go. So all I can say is go away to the shops and buy yourself some beef. It started to show us a lot of very weird, rather macabre, dark pictures. It looks like a horror movie. And you have a jolly good look at a placenta. He'll go down in history. Uh, there's more to it than that. I kept watching. I couldn't believe what I'd seen. I mean, it is a twist, eh? Yeah, it totally it's is. I was not expecting that at all. Oh, it's marvellous, isn't it? Hey, folks. Welcome to a special episode of The Projecting Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Oscar Harding. He is the director of the new documentary film, A Life on the Farm. It is a documentary about a very special video. It is currently being distributed by Alamo Films out there in their venues. It should be out on streaming and physical media a little bit later in the year. If you want to find out more about where it's playing or when it's going to streaming or physical media, Take a look at their website, Sonderbar Pictures. That's S-O-N-D-R-B-A-R dot C-O dot U-K. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. So before we even start to talk about life on the farm, I want to know more about you. Tell me more about how you even got interested in filmmaking. I'm one of those annoying kids who, I was four years old. Mom took me to see Lady in the Tramp at the theater, and it was too late. I was sort of hooked. So yeah, I've been trying to do this since then. It only took about 25 years, but we got there eventually. I didn't grow up in Somerset, where the film is based. I grew up very, very close by in Bristol. My mom is fully Irish, so I'd kind of hop back and forth between uh, a town just outside of Dublin and Bristol like a yo-yo as a kid. So, yeah, fully half English, half Irish, a little bit of both, there, really. And yeah, went to went to college in 
Canterbury and at the University of Kent in the UK, where I met my two production partners, Dom and Ed. And yeah, we've been in business ever since. We'd always planned to do more on the narrative side of things. That's kind of our first loves. And I love dogs. I really do. But I never saw myself making one just because it's a very particular skill set that you need to tell those types of stories. And we didn't really feel we had it. And then, of course, this tape comes along and, it, you know, we would have been crazy not to have done anything with it. And then, yeah, a couple of years before we discovered that, I did an exchange year in Milwaukee as a college student. Met my now wife. We did long distance for a long time. But no, I've been living in Milwaukee the last four years now. How did the tape come into your life? And I know you talk a little bit about this in A Life on the Farm, just for the folks listening at home. Tell the, a little bit of the origin story here. Sure. So it's a story of two parts. So first of all, my grandfather passed away in 2006. Family goes down to the house to clear out the possessions. My dad and my aunts, and one of my aunts finds this videotape. And she and my dad and my other, they had this vague recollection of their dad showing it to them. And she happened to digitize it and then gave every sibling a copy. And dad just thought it'd be, you know, kind of interesting for us to watch it. He mentioned that my mother, my grandmother was on the tape and then he switched it off halfway through. And then I kind of put all these images seared into my brain for the longest time. And when you're a kid, I imagine you, you see things and then your imagination takes hold and it seems something grand than it actually is. And then when you're an adult, you see it and it just seems very underwhelming. And then we moved house and lost the copy of the tape. And in theory, that's where the story ends. So then we cut forward to 2017, 2018, and my partner Dom and his girlfriend and their family, they go down to the West Country and they stay in a B&B and he calls me up and he gets out of the trip and he says, I didn't think I was going to make it out alive. It felt like something out of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it immediately just clicks in my brain and I told him, it's funny you mentioned that, dot, 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 and I bring up this tape. And then he starts saying, oh my God, have you got the tape? Obviously we didn't. I happened to bring it up in conversation with my aunt. And she says, well, I don't know why you didn't ask me years ago. I've got it stashed away in the attic. And then I got the tape back from her and the rest is history. What is the process though for you to go from, here's this really bizarro tape that's been kind of passed around and things to, oh, I'm going to make a movie about this. I'm going to track down all of these people that are involved in this and make this, you know, hour and a half documentary about this just bizarro character and all these things in his orbit. You take one look at that footage and you have so many questions. I was just naturally curious. And the fact that my grandparents are both in it, there was a family and a personal connection for me. It wasn't the only reason we decided to make the film, but I, everyone I showed it to was just absolutely in awe. And I thought, I feel that we need to find out there's something that could be done with this. Even if it's just finding a way to show people this tape because it's remarkable. And then we just started asking around locals in the area. I still had personal connections down there with people. And the more we found out about this guy, it became that much more fascinating than the footage itself. And it was originally going to be a short film. So then we start shooting here and there, doing a lot of detective work. It took a long time to get the cameras rolling just because we had so much research to do. And we're starting from you know, ground zero. We don't know anyone involved with him. My parents don't know anyone. So yeah, we start rolling the cameras around 2019 and we're doing detective work and we're trying to find people who know him. And as that story becomes far more interesting, it takes on a life of its own. It was originally a short and I got this job in Milwaukee, told my partners, I'll come back summer 2020 
we'll finish this little short film off and we all know how that went. But pre-COVID, I'm kind of stuck there and I'm not able to shoot. And I find out there's this found footage subculture and it just so happens that a whole bunch of them are doing shows in Milwaukee. So I reach out to them, including Nick and Joe at Found Footage Festival, show them that footage and it just escalated from there, kind of snowballed. They were absolutely fascinated. We discover more footage and as more of his story becomes clear, we all take this hard look at ourselves and realize this kind of has to be a feature, a very, very short feature, but there's enough here to tell that kind of story at that kind of length. Had this tape been passed around, was this kind of like a Winnebago man or shut up little man, jerky boys type of thing, or was it a pretty small subsect that were familiar with a life on the farm? Well, it was Winnebago man if Jack Rebney had been the one to pass out the tapes himself. When we start doing this, we're thinking ethically, is this the right thing to do? Did he ever mean for this to be circulated? Then we find out that the copy of the tape I have with my grandparents is a custom edit. And it turns out that he's in this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. He's in his 60s, 70s. He learns video-to-video technology, which isn't easy for anyone, let alone someone like that, who's just learning from scratch at that age. He creates custom edits of the same feature-length home movie for every villager with footage of each of them. And he goes to their houses with these two, three-hour tapes, gives it to them, comes back a week later to quiz them to make sure they've watched and paid attention to the details. If they haven't, he gives them another week to hold on to it, and then he'll be back to quiz them again. And that's very clearly someone who wants their footage to be seen. That's before we even go down the rabbit hole of where he was sending it outside of the village. He was sending it off to national TV programs. This is a guy who clearly wants his stuff to be seen. So you're finally making his dream come true all these years later. Yeah, we just had our first screening in Hollywood last night. I, I'd give anything for him to be here. We'd get such a kick out of it. We played all seven continents at this point. We did Antarctica about a month back. That was not easy to arrange. I, I really hope he'd be proud. I hope we've done him proud. And I really don't think he would have imagined he'd play all seven continents, close to 30 countries at this point. His stuff so reminds me of, there was somebody on a public access where I grew up and very much like narrating family photos and family stories, but I don't remember it being as possibly morbid as uh, I don't want to talk too much about the contents of this movie because I want everybody to see it. it. It's tricky without getting into spoiler territory, but I mean, you make a really good point, And this is one of the points we're trying to make in the film. There's a Charles Carson in every village and every public access station. He's not alone in what he's doing. And I think sometimes we overlook these people. I think sometimes we laugh at them and miss the real kind of depth and substance that they have to offer with their work, you know, including your, your public access guy. Being a detective is not easy. So what were some of those pitfalls for you? You know, the detective stuff wasn't too much of a, a chore just because I used to work in film research. So we kind of had that background. So being a little bit of a detective just comes a second nature. What became tricky was production, because at least half of what you see on screen, I wasn't physically present to direct, which is a horrible, horrible way to make a movie, because we shot the vast majority of this in between lockdowns in the UK, and doing that height of the pandemic is its own challenge. And then I'm going out to the UP in Michigan, I'm going to Des Plaines, just outside of Chicago, I'm in Milwaukee, we shoot in New York and LA, and I couldn't even fly out for that. And we're doing all this over FaceTime. And my DP 
and my assistant director are a bad Wi-Fi connection and an ocean away. It only really works when you've got a team that you trust and everyone is on the same page in terms of the vision of this thing. How do you even find backing for this or is this all self-funded? So there was a little bit of self-financing at the beginning. And then when we met Nick and Joe, they said, do you have a proof of concept trailer? Which we did. And it was still a short film at this point. And then as soon as we realized there's a feature in this, we go to Kickstarter and, you know, we got very, very fortunate to get it fully funded by backers. The budget is low, really, really low. It's a miracle we got it made on the budget that we did. But again, no private investment, really. It was mostly Kickstarter and a little bit of a, a seed fund from Nick and Joe. Did you end up having to get permission from his family or anything to, to for this video? We, first and foremost, when I wanted to set out to make this, I wanted family involvement, not even just from an ethical standpoint, which is common sense, but also I, th I thought it would make for stronger storytelling because before he's a filmmaker and before he's a farmer, he is a father, he's a husband, he's a son, and that family element is really, really important. So we start to reach out to family members and we got his first cousin, Charlie, who's in the film, and he's the one who got him into filmmaking. And from what we can ascertain was his best friend. They'd be up late nights looking at Charles's films together. And yeah, we reached out to the kids and they're aware that the film was being made and we've sent them a copy of the film. I certainly hope they like it. But, you know, I respect their privacy. They didn't really want to be involved. I'm just really glad that we had Charlie, who had so many insights into him. And then, you know, we only really show the footage in it that needs to be shown. There is some stuff that's on the cutting room floor and a lot of that relates more to sort of family history. And for the average viewer who doesn't know, but it's not quite as interesting. And also, at the end of the day, you, you're making a feature film. You've got to keep the pacing going. So there is a little bit on the cutting room floor. So you didn't show up at the kid's house a week later and then quiz them about the movie? No, no. I, it crossed my mind, but no. <laughs> so when did the film have its premiere? We premiered at the Milwaukee Film Festival last April. So by the time we wrapping up our theatrical run with Draft House Films, we, it would have been about a year, which is kind of a nice little ribbon on it. So are you doing a physical release for this as well? We are. Yeah. We release on DVD and Blu-ray, possibly VHS on July 18th. I believe we hit VOD on May 9th and we're in theaters right now across America and Canada and Australia and New Zealand. When that DVD or Blu-ray or VHS tape comes out, will it have the original video on there as well? It won't, and in part, it's just because of the length. It's partially because, you know, all the best stuff is already in the film. And also, I, I completely get the interest in it, but it's partially the quality isn't particularly good. That was one of the big technical challenges. We didn't upscale with AI or anything like that, but when you're ripping off of a DVD that's already ripped off of VHS, it's kind of a nightmare. I mean, the, the post-production for this was such a headache, in large part because of the archive footage. So it's just not going to hold up visually for all two hours on the DVD. Yeah, I think you make a mention at some point about another copy surfacing that was better. Oh, well, that's additional footage. And I, it's tricky. We're getting into spoiler territory there to give away the big reveal. But it's a lot of fun. And there's a reason there was another tape discovered that kind of really opens up his story more. It's amazing that 
this documentary has so many twists and turns to it. And I think that's really a credit of trusting your instincts of figuring out, oh, this is a feature. This does have enough to sustain us and to make this what could be pretty dry subject matter just yeah. so compelling to watch. I put that all down to one person and one person alone, and that's our editor, Hannah Christensen. And she is just the absolute unsung hero of this movie. We very intentionally tried to edit this so that the audience goes on the exact same journey that we did. And I get when you're editing, you've got to cut for the benefit of the audience, pacing in a certain way to keep people interested. And sometimes you've got to manufacture twists and turns. But this is exactly how we went about it. It's exactly how we discovered the tape. It's exactly the revelations when we discovered them during production, right down to there's that moment in his footage where everything gets turned on its head. I imagine that the audience reaction to this is just has to be palatable to, to be in that theater and to watch the rest of the audience go on that same journey that you took. It's been wonderful. And what's been this huge relief is that people got it. Because we very intentionally at the start lean into this concept I think people have upon first viewing of laughing at him. And we set this thing up as though it's going to be like one in a million generic Netflix true crime docs. I mean, we have the queen of true crime, Karen Kilgariff of My Favorite Murder in there, comparing him to Ed Gein. And we've got to lean into that to subvert expectations and to make you ultimately empathize with him. I've been in live screenings and you see people laughing at him at the beginning, which is completely understandable when you have no context. That was all of us at the start. And then by the end of it, not only are they laughing with him, but it's immensely satisfying knowing we did our job right when I've got people coming up to me in tears saying, I love this man. Basically, everyone who's seen it is completely, they've got him and they've got what we've tried to do. And they understand that this is a celebration of this guy. I think you'd have to be a particular kind of person to spend four or five years of your life to make a feature-length film with other people's money in multiple countries just to laugh at someone and to mock them and exploit them. Now, even if I wanted to have done that, when you show that man's footage, it's impossible not to get what he's doing and not to fall in love with him. That footage shines through. Do you now have the documentary bug? Is that your, uh, your now world? We did shoot another doc about child refugees in World War II because there was a personal connection through one of my production partners. And that's hopefully it in the festival circuit soon. And we're in the middle of shooting one in Milwaukee that is a really interesting story and I can't give away too much. But it's about a king in exile. Have I got the documentary bug? One or two stories fell into our lap, same way that Life on the Farm did. You know, genre is our first love, narrative is our first love. Just right now, we're riding the wave of this thing and having a lot of fun. And We've got one or two other things in development, so we'll see. Where can people keep up with you and all your production news? We're one of those annoying people where every social media handle is slightly different. But I mean, if you just Google a life on the farm or Sonderbar pictures, S-O-N-D-E-R-B-A-R, then you'll see what we're up to. Again, life on the farm is amazing. Thank you so much for making it. And I really look forward to seeing what else you do. Thanks for having me on.